Al and Ronell are uh, South Africans originally, uh, lived in Los Angeles, the greater Los Angeles area, Orange County, for nine years. Almost 10, and they've just become U.S. citizens, which was a 10-year process, <laughs> and you snuck in just before the new policies <laughs> took effect. <laughs> um, and uh, Al took over a, a church um, in Orange County a number of years ago, and he's been leading it for seven years now, and uh, just done a really wise job. In it, you know, I've just taken over a church. I'm more used to planting churches, and uh, Al is a standout example of someone who can take over a church and gently bring her through. But she's at a wonderful place of health, Southlands. They've got three different uh, sites, a fourth uh, poised. And um, the thing I most love about their church is the um, atmosphere on their leadership team and eldership team and elder couples. It's the coolest most godly group of uh, elders and wives I think I've come across anywhere around the world. So I aspire uh, to them. On the east coast of America, everything's a bit more formal. In California, they smoke a fair bit of pot, so you guys... Anyway, can we give it up for Al? Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. We do not smoke pot. But thanks, PJ. Am I coming through? Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so good to be in your beautiful nation. Uh, we had booked to be with you this time last year, and because of our citizenship process, had to cancel or at least postpone. And uh, so we love being here. This is the, the home of my ancestors. I always feel like it's, it's a bit of a home away from home. Um, traveling is... Amazing, isn't it? But not uh, easy. I always travel with two bottles of pills. One, melatonin, which uh, should be taken at night to help you sleep. Very natural remedy. And two, uh, fiber, which is supposed to be taken in the morning, you know, to keep your, your system going, you know. And uh, last night in my jet lag stupor, I took fiber instead of melatonin. <laughs> Uh, which meant that I woke bolt upright at 12 last night and spent more time sitting than sleeping. So uh, if I leave in the middle, it won't be because I'm sleepy. But um, I'd really like to, uh, to speak to you this morning about, uh, about something that, like PJ, I've not taught on this before. So this is not my best conference message that I'm rehashing. Uh, But you know, leadership at the end of the day is silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Uh, And so at at a time like this, I'm asking not only what is true, and not only what do I think you need, uh, but what do I have? By God's grace, what what do I have? Uh, I think it was Bob Mumford who always used to say, if I stand up here and, I, and I've got mumps, but I say I've got measles, you will catch mumps, not measles. Uh, what I have, I give to you. And uh, just as we've talked and prayed, Ronell and I, one of the things that, that we feel like we have by God's grace, we don't have it perfect, but we have, we have a testimony, God's grace is just a revitalized vision. Uh, what is it to lead with, with vision? 
And I, I want to speak to you about that out of uh, Philippians 3. One other consideration as I come uh, to, to a session like this, and it's such a privilege to speak, is um, what I'm teaching on, I always ask this, did it come intuitively to me, uh, or was it a more conscious thing? Um, PJ is about to release an outstanding book on eldership, and I've, I've I've had the privilege of looking at quite a few of the chapters, and, and in one of his chapters, he talks about the difference between an intuitive leader and a conscious leader. And, and each of us have some areas that in terms of leadership, it just comes intuitively to us. No one taught us. It was just God's grace on us. It just happened naturally. And, and there are other aspects of leadership that we had to really intentionally, consciously learn. You know what I've found is the intuitive parts of my leadership are much harder to teach because I don't know how I got it. I just got it by God's grace. I'm an intuitive worship leader, and I don't know really how to teach people to lead worship. I am not an intuitive visionary. I'm not. Uh, I've grown to love it. I've learned from it. But I think because of that, I, I can slow down what is not really intuitive and hopefully help you. Um, one more qualification, then we'll leap into the text. I come from America, last 10 years there, California, uh, the land of the mega church. And I think it's very easy for you to say, yeah, he's going to come and tell us to think bigger, you know, in the land that's a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, and and th there's truth in that. There, there, there are many large thinking, large churches. Um, but I, I, I really don't want to impose a template on you. Uh, I want to speak from Paul's life, and he wrote this from a prison. He wrote it in a place of confinement. And some of you feel like your, your city, your, your church is a, is a confined place. Well, we're in good company. And, and, and Ronella and I came to a church in a very confined place. By God's grace, it's become a spacious place. But I don't come with this kind of mega church mentality. We actually don't have a mega church vision. We've got a multiplying church vision. God has grown the church numer numerically significantly, but that's not our, our, our dream to become the biggest mega church. Uh, we want to be a healthy, multiplying church. And uh, so with that, let's go to... Philippians 3, and uh, I'm going to call out what's obvious. This is not Paul writing to leaders to teach them how to cast vision. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more deep than that. It is a visionary passage, but I want to look at six insights on revitalizing vision as leaders, uh, how we receive vision, how we craft it, and how we cast it. So this is the word of the Lord. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The, the, the NIV says, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. I prefer that wording. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true 
to what we have already attained. So Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He's chained between two guards. He's getting older. He's losing his... kick on and, and, and finish down the home straight. He's got a vision. And, and, and vision, we need to see, first of all, is upward before it's onward. When we think of vision, we can't just think of an onward vision for our church. Paul, Paul's ultimate vision is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He has a compelling vision of a finishing line. He wants to breast the tape running fast and hard, strong. He wants to leave nothing in the change room. He's got a, a vision of, of the resurrection and the reward. He's got a vision of well done, good and faithful servant. He's got a vision of a podium and, and a laurel wreath. He's using this compelling image of vision. And I, I, I would say vision could be described as a compelling picture of our future that informs the way we act within our present reality. A compelling picture of the future that informs the way we act within our present reality. If our vision, if, if, if the most compelling thing about our vision is, is the podium, is the finish line, is the laurel wreath, that athletic image of the reward at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know what will happen? Grace will compel us to be faithful even when we do not feel fruitful. If our vision is only onward, when we don't feel like we're making progress, we'll lag, we'll slow down, we'll kick back. 
What, what, what encourages us to press on or kick on, as they say, is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My friends, can I encourage you that faithfulness is success. It's not well done. It's not well done successful servant. It's one well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness to God is success. I remember reading an excerpt by John Piper after he finished his term, I think around 30 years, pastoring the same congregation. And he said his life verse that stopped him from resigning, he wanted to resign a number of times because he felt his ministry was fruitful. Are you kidding me? John Piper thought his ministry was not fruitful. But he had this life verse that he said stopped him from resigning often, and it was Isaiah 61 uh, that says, Though my labor is in vain, my reward is in his hands. In other words, he reminded his soul that there was still a reward for those whose labor seemed it was in vain. Uh, vision must be upward before it's onward. Amen? We'll get to the practice soon. But, but, but let's get to the heart of what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about a boardroom planning the next strategy. He's firstly talking about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Secondly, vision is, is call before it's craft. We, we're going to talk about crafting vision, and, and I think we must craft vision, but, but it's call. But Paul wasn't saying, you know, I'm sitting here in prison just, just imagining casting the next sexy, compelling, creative vision. No, no, he knew that God had laid hold of him for something. I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. What was that? He doesn't actually say here what that was, but in Acts 20, his his final words to the Ephesians elders, I, I love this picture, they're they kneeling on the beach, it's his last words, his last apostle elder meeting, and uh, he, 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 he kneels there weeping, the ship is in the background, this is the last time they'd see each other, and he says this, I count my life worth nothing if only I may finish my race. You go, what's your race? What is that? Because he's, he's using the same race imagery. What is that? What, what do you count your life worth nothing for, Paul, if only you may finish that? You know what he says is that? That I, that I may testify to the gospel of the grace of God. For Paul, that was what God laid hold of him for. Planting churches, absolutely Mentoring leaders, absolutely. Writing letters, absolutely. But, but his that, the, the call, was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Can I say, for us as leaders, we need to be clear on our that. It's, it's what I call in our church our mission. Before you get to vision, get to mission. That is what you and your people should be doing all the time, in every season, every year, until Christ comes home. Come that. Testify to the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know that he, as well. He, he wanted even before that. I want to know Christ. I want to know him and I want to make him known. That, that is mission. I, I, when I think of, of vision and mission, 
It's like looking at a mountain range. Mountain range is mission. That, that's what you should be doing all the time. That's, in fact, what every church should be doing all the time. And, and vision is a, is a sharp mountain within the mountain range. If, if you get focused on, on your vision, which, which is, is what happens over a few years in a, in a very specific way, and lose your sense of what is every Christian, every church always called to in every nation, in every culture, in every generation until Christ comes home, it's to testify to the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we root our people in that? It's not sexy, but it's God. Something just of the Great Commission. You know, hanging out in our lobby is not our vision. It's our mission. And our mission essentially comes from the Great Commission. Paul's final words is to glorify the Father, our mission, in the power of the Spirit by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of Jesus. It's not all that cool. It's not all that creative. But I hope, even once I'm not leading this church, that the mission will remain the same or similar. Let's root our people in mission before vision. Will Mancini talked about this, this, this mission that, that, that oozes from us as leaders. He says this, a unique vision must ooze from the leader's life as well as the church's leadership community. In other words, Vision comes out of, out of what you know you should be doing all the time. Second, the vision must create unique culture inside the church that is inclined to penetrate the culture outside the church. In other words, vision is driven by the church's DNA, not by programming, not by the latest slide or graphic, but, but what are we about all the time? That, that should ooze from us and bear fruit in a more sharpened vision. If you are a newer church leader, either planting or transitioning, I, I actually want to encourage you, don't get hung up on vision. Get hung up on DNA and mission. Who are we? What do we believe? And what should we always be doing? Uh, I, I took about four years before I cast actual vision. You don't have to necessarily take that, that long. But if you try and call your people to run at a mountain before they've understood the mountain range, if you try and get your people to run at a mountain before there's health in the field of their souls, I want to tell you, you might take a mountain, but they'll fall down dead. Vision must come from health. It must come from, from culture. Uh, uh, what, what did someone say? I can't even remember who it is. But, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. Give yourself initially to, to healthy culture, healthy DNA. Let vision come from that. We, we realized around 2008 that our church actually had vision fatigue. I, uh, I took over leadership from one of the most intuitive visionaries I've ever met. Uh, he oozed vision. He, he, he would just get vision just about every devotional time he had. He would get new vision. And, and it was amazing. It was inspiring. But actually, uh, the church had vision fatigue, which, which was why uh, when, when I took, took the lead, I, I, I wanted to honor the past. But probably for the first three years, I, I said to the church, we have one 
our away games. We were a multiplying church, had planted 12 churches in 14 years. Fairly medium-sized church, 12 churches in, in 14 years, and the pantry was bare. Leadership pantry, financial pantry, numbers pantry. And you know what? We didn't really know how to make disciples of Jesus in our own postal code. We could send people to plant in Brazil and Australia and Seattle. But, but what was it to make a disciple of Jesus in Orange County, California? I, I just said to the church for a while, look, we will get back to planting and multiplying, but we actually need to build health into this church. What are we doing planting churches if we can't make disciples of Jesus here in our city? Uh, some of you, it may be that you're so fixated on multiplying that God's saying, can you just build health for a while? Uh, some of you are building, trying to build health so well that God is saying, no, no, no actually multiply. Uh, that, that, that's why you've got to discern as a leadership team. But, but we took time to say, any team that's going to win has to win home games, has to have a, 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 a healthy leadership culture, a healthy financial culture, a healthy evangelism culture. And let's plant from that. There is nothing like Seeing unbelievers come to Christ. I'm more excited about that than planting churches. We've planted four times in the last four years. We've sent 200 people out in the last four years. And I love that, but I'm far more excited about seeing people come to Jesus. Been walking with a friend of mine who's a Jewish man for four years. And uh, his wife came to faith. She was Catholic, Filipino. Two years ago, she got baptized. And he, he comes to our church. He's a better member than most of our members. Uh, he, he, he gives. He serves. He comes to our prayer meetings. I mean, he, it, it's amazing. But he's a Jewish man, and actually he was persecuted by Christians. They, they, as growing up, they burned crosses on his front lawn. And so his, his idea of, 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 of Christ and the church is, is very, very, very tough. And uh, he phoned me up last Saturday and said, what are you doing for dinner? I said, nothing. He said, can my wife and I take you out for dinner? And he sat across from me, and he said, Alan, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He said, Alan, I'll never be called a Christian, but I am a believing Jew. I love Jesus. I grabbed his hands, and I said, Ryan, this is why I came to America. <laughs> this is the American dream for me. The American dream is not multiplying and having a mega church. It's seeing people like you love Jesus. My friends, we've got to be gripped with that. That's, that, that's what Paul was gripped with, more than planting and strengthening churches. That's the heart of it. It's call before it's craft. I must move on. Thirdly, a vision is defiant. Vision is defiant. Listen to how defiant Paul was. He'd had many successes. He'd planted and strengthened many churches. He'd seen so many people come to Christ and seen so many people healed and, and, and delivered. But then he says, forgetting what is past, I strain on to what is ahead. There, there was a sense of humble defiance to past success. Even think of Paul in prison. You remember the last time he was in prison, Acts 16? There was this amazing prison break moment where they were worshiping with Silas and the prison started to shake, and there was this amazing prison break. Past success. I can imagine Paul in this prison going, what was that song I sang? 
What was that hymn that Silas and I, let's sing this, let's see if we get another prison break. And actually this time, no. This time, no, Paul, you will stay here. And he actually says in Philippians, one, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. There, there's a sense of submission to the sovereign purpose of God. What God did then, I'm, I'm forgetting what, what happened. What are you going to do now, Lord? I'm not going to put a template. That was a past victory. I celebrate it. How are, are you going to be victorious this time, Lord? It's not through prison break. It's through being faithful in confinement. So often, churches do not press on in vision because they're resting on their laurels. They're resting on past victories. They're expecting God to do it the same now as he did it in 1990. Can we just put our templates aside and say, Lord, what do you want to do in our day? There's some things that do not change, but there's some things that had to change for Paul. He had to find a new definition of faithfulness. It wasn't singing a hymn, it was writing a letter. And look at what God did with those letters. Imagine him writing those letters. He must what, what, I mean, I'm just writing a letter to a church. Just a silly little letter to a church. Philippians, Colossians, Romans. It's defiant of current constrictions. What are your current constrictions? That, that keeps you thinking small. Is it a small bank balance? Is it a small venue? Is it a small village? It is a leadership team that, that tends to think small. And I'm not talking about thinking big, Texas big. I'm talking thinking big, heaven big. But Paul was focused on heaven, and he wanted a God-sized, heaven-shaped vision. It wasn't shaped by the confinement of his cell. There was something of a largeness that throbbed in his soul. What are your confinements? And can the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, who's at work in us, breathe resurrection-shaped vision even in our confinement? Our confinement was that we had a lawsuit. Now, very first Thanksgiving in South Africa, I was handed a lawsuit. Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to America. And uh, we defended the lawsuit, but in a church, an internal lawsuit, no one wins. No one wins. Massive, massive uh, cost. And uh, we, we had a, an $800,000 lawyer's debt that we were chipping away. That, that wanted us to, to, to just get into survival mode, into paying off debt mode. It, it fights vision. We had a people who were jaded and fatigued from planting. But I knew God had on us. He'd laid hold of that. Not just to make Christ known, but actually to make him known by multiplying healthy, Jesus-loving communities. What is your confinement, your constriction? Whenever you cast vision, there are going to be the naysayers. You think about the spies that went into Canaan. Only two of them came back. They all saw the same fruit, but ten of them just saw the big giants. Giant fruit or giants? And then Caleb, who had a different spirit, he quieted the people. Casting vision actually requires graciously quieting the naysayers. And being faithful in our place of confinement, God is the God who makes us fruitful in the land of confinement. 
fourth vision is progressive. And this is the counterpoint. Now we're getting more practical. This is the counterpoint to vision is defiant. If we, if we leave vision is de- defiant, we'll, we'll leave breathing kind of tiger fire. But actually there's a, there, there's a progressive nature to vision that, that, that needs to combine courage with wisdom. And Paul says this. He says, let us live up to what we've already attained. Let's be careful here. He says, on the one hand, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind was not complete amnesia. He remembered what lay behind. He remembered the success. He remembered the challenge. But he just wasn't resting on it. He said, let us live up to what we've already attained. In other words, let's build on our success. Let's progressively build on our success. Here's here's what I've found to be true of vision. People buy into vision when they see some sort of success on the ground. You can't go from zero to 100. I'm not talking about people. I'm I'm talking about 100 miles an hour. You've got to start somewhere. We want to say, God, won't you bless us? You know, people normally bless what they already see God blessing. Let's, Let's live up to what we've already achieved. In other words... Look at God's weighted grace upon your church and build on that. Build on that. We found four years ago, we we started multiplying again, and we sent 100 people to the city just 10 minutes south of us, and God really prospered that community. And off the back of that, we we felt God calling us to a three-year sharpened vision. So think mission. We're always going to be proclaiming the gospel of God's grace, always going to be making disciples. But, but within the mountain range, there's the sharpened mountain of being a multiplying church. And we felt off, off the God-given success of that, let's build a three-year vision, which we call three and three. That, that we felt faith enough to multiply three times in three years. And so we cast that before the church. So this is not a template. I'm just telling you my story. It's the only story I've got. And, and we felt that God wanted us to have a God-sized vision that was big enough that caused us to go, <gasps> we, we don't have the resources for that. But, but that was not so big that people just went, ah, that's pie in the sky. It was funny. We took this vision before we cast it to different people, to, uh, to, to people who we, we trusted. PJ was one of them. And a number of the people that I, I, I put it before, church leaders, just said, oh, that's way too small. You know? Isn't God big enough? Come on, think bigger. And I, I essentially just went, I feel like that's what I've got faith for. I feel like that's what our people could respond to. And I remember just speaking to, to PJ about it, and, and he just said, so gracious, so courageous. PJ has consistently been a gift of clarity and courage to me. And he just said, Al, I think you're in the zone. It's about right. This, this is not like the tablets of stone. Down, it, it, you're in the right zone. Just go with what you've got faith for. And so we cast this vision in uh, three years ago, almost to the day, uh, of, of multiplying three times in three years. One multi-site in our region, one autonomous church plant somewhere in North America, and then the big one, we wanted to plant a church somewhere in World A, an unreached people group. How? How? But you know, the people responded to it. Uh, partly 
because it was clear, but also because it was progressive. It was off the back of some God-given success. I, I, I'm trying to feed, fuel your, 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 your imagination here, uh, your, your collaborative muscle, to go back and, get, and go, where is evidence of the grace of God, and how can we progressively build on that? We've also got a vision for mercy and justice. You know, in our day, highly conscientized day, where there's so many needs, so many great needs, what do you run at? And God helped us to run at what we call three mercy and justice mountains. There's a mountain range of mercy and justice. We should be involved in mercy and justice. But we cast about four years ago very clear mountains. We will give ourselves to orphan care. We will give ourselves to fighting human trafficking. And we will give ourselves to prison ministry. And we've had to say no to a lot. When you cast clear vision, you have to say no to a lot. And you know, people, it's like you shot Bambi. (laughs) How can you not care about this, 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 and this. And we just had to say, actually, there are so many needs, but this is what we feel God has called us to. That. We're laying hold of that for which Christ laid hold of us. And God has given us, by His kindness, such progress in those mountains because we've aimed at them and said no to many great mountains. Are you willing to shoot Bambi? Vision is progressive. All of you who are mature should take such a view of these things. This is Paul. Paul isn't just talking about this is the vision of my life. I'm running hard. I'm pressing on. I'm straining toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then he turns to the Philippian church and said, you should do the same. In fact, particularly those of you who have run a few miles around the block, all of you who are mature should do the same. You shouldn't be slowing down. You know what happens in vision? Those who are mature see themselves more as pillars than pace setters. Oh, I'll just be here to, to be the rudder, to be the anchor. And, and it's amazing to have mature saints. But I want to tell you, when mature saints start to set the pace, other people take you. I want to encourage you as you cast vision, as God makes it more clear to you. I think it was uh, Will Mancini that says, as, as you cast vision, there will be 10% of your congregation that are early adapters. Don't take too much notice of them. There's some people in our church that just love me so much that, I mean, I could say, we're going we're gonna, to, all of us move to Afghanistan, and they would say, I'm with you, heart and soul. <laughs> they're just early, early adopters, and they're generally not wise, generally not, not mature, <laughs> but it's great to have them in your church. It is great. It is great. And then, then they're generally about 10% naysayers, and no matter what you do, they'll just dig in their heels. Don't take too much notice of them. It's the other 80%. You've got to move slowly enough, answering their concerns and questions. Don't dismiss their concerns and questions as, are you doubters, you rebels? Actually, have a, as you cast vision, before you cast vision, have an ear for the voice of dissent. Because sometimes the voice of dissent is not a voice of doubt a voice of wisdom, or it's a voice of just saying, can you just slow down a little bit? What I've found is not in the 10 early adopter, not on the 10 naysay, but in the 80 slow adopter are actually the biggest contributors to vision. Had a man sit with me um, just after we'd cast three and three, and we were raising uh, $250,000 for this vision. As it turned out, the church has raised almost 400 
5,000 by God's grace. And this man turned out to be our biggest giver. You wouldn't guess it. He doesn't drive a flashy car, doesn't live in a flashy home. He's mid-30s. And he sat with me, quiet man, quiet man. And he said two things. Are you going to be around for a while? I said, yes, by God's grace, I plan to be around for a while. He said, secondly, are you going to change your mind about church planning? I said, I don't think I am. He said, because me and my partner are going to sink significant money into this, but we just want to know those two, two things. Because we've seen flashy vision casters, and then people change their mind, and then they leave. I just want to know those two things. Not an early adopter, cautious man, but has he given hundreds of thousands Vision is progressive. Go slow enough for slow adopters. Hmm, five minutes. Vision is specific. Within that broad that, which is within that, that broad that, there is, a, there is a narrow that. Paul said, one thing I do, this one thing I do for Paul, his vision was I'm going to write letters and I'm going to witness to the prison God. He, he, he knew what his current vision was within that. To be specific, to understand that every church, Ephesians 2, is God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared in advance for you to walk in. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make you, in your words, gobsmacked? That every church has a broad that, but every church has good works prepared in advance for you to walk in. That's not a word necessary to individuals. It's, it's a word to communities, to churches. And to be able to discern that and be specific about that. Three and three was something that was just really, really repeatable, memorable. I don't think it was particularly creative, but, but it became part of our vocabulary. We drip-fed it. We held people's feet to the fire. Every month still, we've, we, we've, we feed back how much has come in, how much still needs to come in. We feed back the church plant in Thailand that by God's grace we were able to send 18 people last year. Now they're up to about 80. And you know what? Three and three, we didn't quite hit it. We, we, we missed it. In the sense that our third and three, we, we will launch in, in September. So we missed it by about three months. But I, I want to miss it like that again and again and again. Seriously, God's, here's the thing about vision. It's not just target, it's trigger. It's not just target, it's trigger. Vision is not an exact science. You aim people at a mountain to get them going. And if you overshoot it or undershoot it a little bit, but it gets them going, and God is pleased. More people have given, have prayed, have trained, and have gone than ever before in the history of the church. Why? Because of vision. And we kind of missed it by three months. I'd like to miss it again like that, again and again and again. Be specific enough. I find some churches, some church leaders cast vision in such a vague way or in such an unrealistic way, there's no way of looking back and saying, did we hit it or not? Cast it in such a way, whether it's a mercy and justice, evangelism, finance, or multiplying vision, cast it in such a way that people say, we either hit it 100% or 90% or 120% or 70%. There's a healthy accountability in that. And actually, you know what? No one expects you to hit it 100%. But be accountable. Let it be quantifiable. Vision is not a gun 
to your head, but it can be a spur in your side. And then finally, vision is collaborative. All of you who are mature should take such a view of things. I've found not only to go slow enough for the more mature folk, but to bring them in to the collaborative crafting of vision. Lead pastor, can I encourage you? You don't have to be Moses. You don't have to come down with the tablets of stone. God can give you a spark of prophetic vision. I find that he does do that. But it's actually, as you work with others, think of Paul, Acts 15. It seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. That's how vision should should come into being. Not just, oh, the lead guy says, so that's the law. It seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. Firstly, with your elders, then your deacons, then bring your creatives in, then bring your strategic finance people in. I want to tell you, if you've got buy-in from there, the church will buy in. But you know what? It takes time. And too many of us, excuse the term, are like a a Christian man on honeymoon night. (laughs) We are just so, ah, and our process is terrible. (laughs) Slow it down. Slow it down. (laughs) That's not what you told me. I've learned to, to flag, I've learned to flag collaboration with three icons for our team. One is light bulb. Light bulb is just an idea I had. It's not a God idea, it might not even be a good idea. Feel free to shoot it down. I'm not invested in this. Secondly, I flag ideas, not just light bulb, but with heart. In other words, saying, guys, this is not just an idea. This is something I feel, perceive deeply. I'm not saying it's God, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm sensing this. Am I sensing it right? Giving them an opportunity to speak into it, but not just shoot it down because I, I, I actually carry this quite heavily on my heart. Beginning of last year, when I came to the team, it, it, we were in our 50th year as a church, and I came and said, we're in our jubilee year. I, I really feel like God wants us to get rid of debt and build a church planting war chest. I don't know if it's the, if it's the Lord, but I think it is. How do you guys feel? And there was buy-in. It seemed right to us in the Holy Spirit. And there are those moments, and this is what you might call a loud hailer. We call it the bullhorn. You know that loud hailer, you call it that? Where, where I pull the bullhorn, not often, you can't pull the bullhorn too often, maybe once or twice a year, where you say, guys, God has spoken. Uh, you can speak into this, but take off your shoes, you're walking on holy ground. Uh, I've spoken to others, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've read scripture, I'm really more asking, how do we do this, not is this the Lord or not? Speak into it by all means, but don't pull the bullhorn too often. Collaborate with your team, give them permission to speak into it. And see the buy-in that happens. Include the prophetic in that. God has been so kind to us in terms of the prophetic. I wish I had another session to talk to you about how God has, has fed the prophetic from others in the church and beyond into our vision. But include the prophets in the crafting of your vision. Elders, deacons, creatives, strategic people, prophets. And see what God will do. Let's pray. Jesus. We thank you that you have called us to a spaciousness in you. We thank you that you love to show up against the odds 
in places of confinement, in places of prison. We think of what you did as, Christ laid, as, as Paul laid hold of that for which you laid hold of him. He faithfully wrote his letters and look what you did. How much more, God, can we who have that same spirit who raised Christ from the dead take our cue from this great apostle and say, Lord, let me be faithful. Let me fix my eyes on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray by your spirit you'd breathe courage into these souls. I pray that you'd breathe wisdom and process into these souls. I pray, Lord, that you breathe fresh, collaborative clarity into these teams that they would walk by faith, not by sight, and that you would be glorified and the nations would be reached. In Jesus' name, amen. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Naysayer. <laughs> Leave the naysayers. Come on now. Yes. You talked about a really short term vision. Yes. catalyst for our people. And the fact that it was short meant that, you know, at the moment, uh, we're we, we coming to the end of 50 years as a church, end of seven years as a season leading as a couple, and coming to the end of three and three. And so the elders have sent me away on, uh, on 10 weeks sabbatical and essentially said, come back with the next 10 year vision. Uh, and one very um, courageous lady and she and her husband have joined the church plant in Thailand. Before she left, she just said, this might be crazy, but I think it's 50 in 10. And I just said, I don't know if I, if I have faith for that. But, but I love the fact that she looked at the points on the board and said, God's grace is all, is all over this multiplying vision, and now we're going from strength to strength. And I think it's PJ's thing of the heart of pilgrimage. Blessed are those whose, whose strength is in you, uh, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. They go from strength to strength. And I, I think you've just got to be wise enough to say, what's something that's, that's gettable? Um, and, and sometimes 10 years just feels so remote because many of those people won't be in the church by then. Whereas with these three, most of the people were still in the church. You know, when we cast it and on out, unless they've gone to church plants or multi-sites, in which case they, they, they celebrate that vision. So three years for us, it's not the, the, the law, but it, it was just good because it was gettable, and I think the next one will be a 10-year one. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. 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 So, so one of the things I think that's been surprising to me is that because I don't get all that many visionary ideas, I, I, honestly, I think I get about three good ones a year, is that I tend to take them quite seriously because I don't know when another good one will come. <laughs> uh, and, and so I've really taken, you know, that, that Eugene Peterson quotes, a long obedience in the same direction. Um, I think people... Um, some people probably get a little bored with my leadership because I don't change direction all that often. But many people, I think, including the team, go, he's serious about this and he's going to follow it through until there's some fruit. Probably not going to have another great idea all that soon. So let's, let's really <laughs> lean into that. Um, and, and so you might be an intuitive visionary that just gets ideas all the time. If that's the case, thank God and be self-controlled. In other words, don't add a new idea until there's some fruit. Because otherwise, people, people will get wowed because you'll give that brave heart speech, but, but actually the confidence will go down and down and down. Uh, and they'll get visionary fatigue. So I think that's one of the things, is just actually taking those things where there's a... I, I, I present it to the leader, leadership team and there's a spark. I go, I don't know how many sparks I'll get. Let's really work with this. And then let's build on that. So that's been one of the things. I think the second is... As a, as, a, as a visionary, understanding you're not necessarily Moses who comes down, but actually you've got to take some time out away from the tyranny of preparing for the next sermon. And so in the, I, I probably preach either in our home church or out about 45 Sundays, 40 to 45. On those few Sundays that I'm not preaching, I give myself to dreaming. I give myself to dreaming. I'll take a day out, sometimes go away for a night, etc. Just steward those times when you're not preaching uh, to, to really look a little further away from the tyranny of the next sermon. Um, and then I would say the third is listen to your wife. Listen to your wife if you have a wife. Because um, Ronell has been real good, good wisdom to me. Um, your, your wife can... And, and, and as a wife, listen to your husband, because, because sometimes Ronell will have these, these senses. But your, your, a wife, a, a husband, is able to be honest to you in a way that won't hurt you. Um, and, and that's been a super helpful thing. Just to, before I cast it, just go, all right, here I am. You know, I'm standing here in my underwear. This feels vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Because, because it does. When, when you, this feels very vulnerable. Do it in... In, in the marriage first and see if there's a sense of, yeah, that's good, but, 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 but how about that? Um, co-heirs and the grace of life. Yes. Yes. So different questions to different groups. Uh, to prophets, prophetic types, uh, I, I'm just... And we've got a group from our different communities that gather every month that just prays for the leaders and the vision. It's an amazing thing. And, 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 and so I'm working with them saying, what has God said and how can this uh, feed, feed in? And uh, so prophets, I'm, I'm really just saying, what do you sense God has said? Uh, to, to creatives, I'm, I'm asking, how can this be simple but compelling 
and reproducible so that, so that it becomes part of the vocab of the church. And you know, I, people tease me, I love naming names, but often it's actually, it's so cool, but, but people won't remember it. And often the marketing creative guys, they bring it down to something really simple, not all that sexy, but really memorable. So I'm asking the, them those questions. And then the strategic guys, I'm, I'm really asking like, how can we finance this? How can we cast it in such a way that, that people, especially business folk go, yeah, I'll give to that. Um, so asking different questions of different groups. And then outside, so in Ephesians 4, um, pardon, I'm really, I'm, I'm asking, you tell me your story, you know, your history, your wisdom, and then also speak in to our health. Are we healthy enough to be able to cast this vision? Because often you think you're healthy, but an outside voice will say, ah, I, I don't know if you are healthy or strong enough. Listen to those voices that can save you pain. Anyone else? Yes. It's such a great question. I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. So our last four, um, we sent 95 people to, um, to the first one. That's a multi-site down the road. Uh, we sent uh, 45 to the next one. Um, to Thailand, we sent 18, and that might be too much, actually. Uh, you know, the further afield requires less people and more money. Closer by, more people, less money. And then this, this next one, which is actually more an adoption, we, we adopted a Baptist church, and uh, there are about 30 folk, and we will add probably 30 to them and plant, hopefully, with 60 to 80. So, the, honestly, it's, it's, there's no one-size-fits-all, and... and it really does depend as well on the size, city, and village. You know, uh, in, a, in a town of, of 10,000, uh, a church of 100 is a big church, you know. And, and so you can send 20, and it's fine, you know. Um, so I, I would just, it, it's, there's no one, one size fits all. It's, it's really about who's in the room, uh, the kinds of gift, the kind of chemistry, I would say. Yeah, yes. Yes. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh man, that is such a great question. Such a great question. You know, you've got to. It's easy to give people a vision to go on mission. It's harder to give people a vision to stay on mission. Staying on mission is boring. <laughs> you know, you don't uh, get a new job, a new house, make, make new friends. You just you're just there with less people around. Um, but you've got to give the sending base a vision to stay on mission. Um, and uh, I, I, I used that uh, passage with David when uh, he went to, to plunder the Amalekites. And the guys came back and said, well, we'll keep the plunder. And he said, no, those that stayed with the baggage will share in the plunder, uh, share in the reward. And I just often say to our people, because we backfilling, we just always backfilling. You share in the reward. I know this is not as, as exciting, but you share in the reward. And I think one of the rewards is seeing gaps left in service and leadership and seeing people sucked through into that vacuum. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. People who are kind of sitting on the sidelines now, now feeling vital. 
Um, and, and I think you've got to celebrate the vitality, even though it's, it feels a little, uh, a little skinny, as it were. Celebrate the vitality. We are vitally needed. Guys, none of us can be comfortable because actually they're great gaps. And celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so actually you end up having a culture within the church that it is you're actually not on mission on the location that you're at. Yeah. And if that happens, actually what you'll find is the churches that you plant don't grow. Sure. Because people think that the mission is the relocation. Yeah. But they're not actually used to engaging at the location where they're at. Yeah. So good. Thanks, Al. Okay.